Welcome. My name is Eddie Arrieta. This is Fulfilling Work Life. We intend to talk to leaders, professionals, remoters, human beings from all around the world who share with us their knowledge. Join me in this daily journey. <laughs> but uh, I, I guess we are officially live. Uh, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. And that is Facebook also speaking to me. Let me just mute that. Thank you so much for, for uh, joining us today, Carolina. Uh, I'm going to make sure that I also change uh, the name over here. But uh, I'm very grateful that, that we have the opportunity to connect. Uh, and hopefully, we'll be able to, to, to get some insight into what is going on uh in your world uh but thank you uh and of course I, i'm gonna get started with the with the question i asked right before we went live if it was okay to ask you where, where are you right now i am based in amsterdam i have lived here for four years i moved here from new york actually oh that's fantastic and the four years amsterdam mm -hmm. and uh what is the vibe like right now i mean we were talking that uh you know the pandemic is probably very different from country to country um you know depending mm -hmm. on the different societies what, what does it feel like over there over there well i must confess i was quite surprised about the culture because at the beginning my perception was that the authorities and the government didn't want to cause panic uh, this culture it tries not to be stressed about things. So always the message was to try to keep things under control, to take all the necessary measures, but to prevent people from suffering stress derived from this, which for me was interesting because it was an interaction from the message the government wants to convey and how a population reacts, for which, uh, for example, the case of Colombia, I believe is completely different. We have had a, a epidemics before, so we tend to be a little bit more respectful. Uh, at the beginning, my, per my perception is that uh, they didn't really take the necessary measures. Uh, they were a little bit waiting to see what happened. Uh, this culture uh, is very confident about their self, uh, uh, their immune system, which is something interesting. They don't take antibiotics. They try to heal themselves. If they feel sick, they try to rest or stay at home uh, so that they're own body tries to heal, which is something different from what I experienced in the past in, a, in the medical system. So my perception is that at the beginning, they were also trying to test how their immune system would react to this. And during the first week, uh, it was a little bit more challenging until things uh, started to, uh, to become a little bit more strict. They implemented 1.5 meters of distance among each other. Uh, they did uh, some agreements, for example, with the German government, and uh, they also sent uh, some uh, patients to uh, intensive care units in Germany. But then gradually, everyone uh, started to follow the, the precautions, and now the, the cases are much lower than what they were in the past. So they have kept uh, below 100 for the last four or five days. The hospitalizations are less than 10 per day, sometimes five or four, which is, uh, which is good news. So I'm very proud of that. And also the, the other thing they, they tried to do was to, even though they, they implemented measures and closed restaurants and stores and social distancing, they kept many parks open. So they uh, motivated people to try to go and, and uh, spend time in nature while keeping that social distancing. And that was very helpful for the society and everyone followed uh, very closely the, the recommendations from the, from the government. So that was quite good. 
Yeah, I think I think that that sounds that sounds very different to to what we experience. Uh, almost we we of course understand Latin America has the whole um, soap opera uh, culture where we love drama mm -hmm. <laughs> for some reason and we like to be <laughs> in the drama. So the more drama, the better. Uh, so as COVID exactly. is evolving, there, there are of course uh, other political unrest uh, around Colombia mm -hmm. and of course around the world uh, and and and. You know, we won't get into, into a lot of detail about that, but it has definitely changed the landscape of how things work. Um, in, in terms of, and, and of course, in the United States and in Europe, remote work is, it's always been part of the conversation where you don't have to work mm -hmm. from the office, you are expected to, uh, but if you would like to, you could work from whatever you wanted, just people didn't choose to do so. Now we were forced to do that. From your experience, how, how has it played out for you and uh, what has changed from, from pre-COVID to, to, COVID, to COVID now and how you're working today? Exactly. So let me tell you a little bit about uh, the way the company works. Uh, I work for the Colombian Coffee Growers Federation and we have different offices around the world. So here uh, I manage the European division. We are only five people. And since we are constantly, we operate in 30 countries and we participate in fairs, like in these last four years, uh, we have participated in over 167 events and fairs uh, uh, all over Europe. And therefore, since we continually have to be in different markets, in meetings with customers, we have a very solid uh, server where we keep all our files, uh, shared files. So that way we can access them from anywhere in the world. Our corporate laptops have that access and, uh, and it has uh, like a, a very good network. So that has worked pretty well. Uh, we work with Colombia, which is uh, seven hours behind. Um, and it also helps us because uh, we always need communications. We use WhatsApp a lot, uh, phone calls through WhatsApp and any other technologies to communicate. One thing I perceived is that uh, we have been having a series of conference calls and webinars uh, with different segments in Colombia. For example, with north of Santander in Colombia, with Cucuta, where we have uh, plenty of coffee growers with different sessions, the cooperatives with the uh, government of Risaralda as well, with the SENA, Mesa Sectorial del Café, we did some webinars. And now that has allowed us to feel much closer even to, the, to, to Colombia. Than, than before, because in the past we used to do more phone calls than conference calls or, or, or conferences, or, or sometimes what has happened is that we would go there once or twice a year to these presentations and meetings. So now I, I kind of feel they are much closer than what they were before. Um, of course, sometimes it's a, a, you have to organize yourself to, uh, to keep the priorities, to see that the team is uh, is is following the uh, the procedures, the safety protocols, to keep them safe. That was the priority of the company to keep the the coffee growers safe, all the coffee network, and our employees in our network. That has been the priority, and that will remain. Uh, while of course keeping the, the the work done. One of the challenges has been in the past when I left my office, I would arrive home, I would have dinner, and I wouldn't check the email anymore. Lately, I have been like, uh, I just go to the, to the table, I have dinner, and then I come back to my computer to keep working sometimes uh, until a little bit later. So it has become a little bit more difficult to separate the personal life from the professional life, especially since Colombia, sometimes like at 
10 p.m. They, they need some information, but uh, I love my job and I, I actually like to, to, to keep like a, that active life. And, and I really like how you said on, on like how you love your job. The more, the more you talk, the more, because I, I recently, I've always drank coffee, right? Especially in, co in college. <laughs> like I would drink coffee, but like we know, let's say uh, uh, we know routine or we know, uh, how, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, I, I know the Japanese, for example, when they are going to drink their tea, like they, they have this whole ritual. So with no ritual, so at college I would, I would drink coffee with no ritual. The older I became, the more ritualistic I became about it. And now it's a thing where like I, I do have like my, my termito uh, and then I, I just <laughs> sip it a little bit. And I do really appreciate like the different types of coffee and I don't know much, right? Just recently I started to know. So I wanted to ask you, and this is a, an indulgence on my end, mm. which is how much, how much do you get to know about coffee but just the virtue of being in the in the ecosystem how do how much do you know today that you didn't know before well actually i must confess my great-grandfather was a coffee grower my grandfather was a coffee grower and then an exporter uh, but exported like products uh, agricultural products even to new york at the time my uncles have been coffee growers i have been working in coffee for 14 years And I, I grew up in, uh, in the countryside, in the, in the coffee cultural landscape in Colombia, which is absolutely beautiful. If, uh, if anyone who's hearing us hasn't been there, is more than welcome to come once the situation gets better. Uh, but I must confess, when I started in the FNC back in 2006, I wasn't as familiar with coffee as I should have been. And that has been one of our campaigns in the sense that when you meet someone from France, for example, they feel so proud about their wines. They know all the wine varieties. They know exactly the regions from which they come from. And I would like all Colombians to feel so proud about what we have, to understand the cup profiles, where we grow the coffee, all these attributes, how all the methods of preparation that are there. So I have worked uh, with the FNC, as I mentioned, uh, uh, for 14 years, and I keep learning things every single day uh, about how to grow the coffee in the best conditions, uh, how to uh, cultivate organic, how to know how to cup coffee. So it has been it has been a, a wonderful learning process, and I still believe that uh, there are many, many, many more things that I that I should learn in this uh, in, in this process. Uh, but I do love it. And one of the things that we have been promoting, uh, for example, in universities is that, as you know, some, sometimes when you are uh, uh, starting your career, sometimes you, ha you get some electives. So you get to choose different programs, Greek uh, literature, things like that. And I would love every single university, especially in Colombia, to have electives to know about coffee. In the same sense that, uh, that you can uh, learn enology for wines, All Colombians should be pr feel proud about it. And uh, I do know that for little children, it's usually not so recommended to drink coffee, but starting from certain age. And as you mentioned, when you are in university, I think that was the time in which I drank the most coffee, studying for exams until 4 a.m. You would like drink and drink and drink what we used to call oil because we would put so much coffee in the cups uh, that they were completely black. Uh, and that's when you start to learn a little bit more about it. Mm -hmm. And, that, and that's beautiful because I, I think one of the common denominators in the conversations that we have in Fulfilling Work Life is that when you work on something that you're passionate about, uh, 
you don't necessarily start from knowing it all. Like you, you in fact, you don't. You, you go with a hunch, right? You go with yeah. a gut feeling uh, yeah. that like that is the direction to go. So when you decided that this was going to be your career path, I think the first question is why did you think it was going to work out? And second, knowing that you knew so little about it, how did you approach like those first years? Because I believe those ones are like where you are just so hungry for new knowledge. So why did you decide on this path? And, uh, and then second, how did you approach your learning experience? Well, exactly. Actually, I, when I was in university, I didn't think this was going to be my, my path. I never imagined myself like a, uh, in, a, in a professional life in coffee. I started with the Colombia Coffee Growers Federation. I used to work for banks before. I was uh, a, I was a professor of, uh, of derivatives uh, back in university. So I I started in the risk management division, doing more quantitative analysis and financial analysis. And then professionally, I started to learn a little bit more, a little bit more. And what I found throughout the years was a very fulfilling career. So I cannot imagine having a job that I would like as much as the one I have now, or in which I feel that, uh, that I can impact as many people, which are our coffee growers in Colombia, as uh, I can do working from the Colombia Coffee Growers Federation, because it's, a, it's an institution that uh, it started back in 1927. Can you imagine? We're 93 years old. And it was a time in which coffee growers sat down and they said, we have to come together. We have to collaborate. If, if we work together and help each other, we will be stronger. And then throughout the years, we developed a, a, a series of standards to help the living conditions of farmers in terms of research, commercialization, knowing the quality. And then as you evolve in the, in the career, you start to understand what impact you are going to have. One thing I always do, and uh, uh, let's say every year I also sit down and I see what I accomplished in the previous year, is I always think what is going to happen uh, the few minutes before I die. I would like to have a list of the things that I uh, achieved throughout my life and the people that I was able to help. And I'll give you an, an example in that regard. Uh, we are in charge, for example, of the com commercialization of coffee here in Europe. And we sell containers and volumes of coffee. And sometimes we say, let's say, oh, we have sold uh, for years uh, over $350 million. But then when I tell the, the people of my team is, don't think about the total value of that container or the total weight in coffee or the equivalent, 1 million, uh, 1,600,000 uh, bags of coffee. Think about how many coffee growers can live an entire year from the programs and the coffee that you sell. Think about how every time you negotiate with a customer to be able to allocate a higher premium to the coffee growers, that those coffee growers can send their children to university. When you rethink what you are, uh, your work, it changes completely. So we no longer believe in, uh, in how many containers we're doing. And we did that exercise a few days ago. We do the math of how many coffee growers were able to live for an entire year by the by the uh by the business we were able to achieve and we did those numbers a few days ago and it was 58,000 coffee growers were able to live an entire year by the business we have done uh within the last four years and that's fulfilling because that, because that gives a sense of uh, of purpose to 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 our lives 
And last year was a very, very, very difficult year. As you know, uh, coffee, uh, Arabica coffee, which is the variety that Colombia produces, last year was in a terrible crisis. The, the, exchange, uh, uh, the exchange of New York, which is the international reference for Arabica prices, reached 15-year lows. So many coffee growers around the world, including Colombia, were selling coffee below their cost of production. And we went through a very difficult crisis, and it was very painful to see that sometimes the reference of the market or or the willingness to pay that many roasters around the world has was not a reference of giving a living income and dignifying social conditions to the farmers that were producing it. So then the FNC, Economic Configurers Federation, and uh, our CEO, Roberto Vélez, implemented a very aggressive international campaign to meet all the roasters from all over the world uh, to bring to the, to the Department of Labor in the U.S. to bring the message that when you uh, when there are these financial hedge funds or, or financial institutions investing in, in, uh, in the coffee futures in the exchange, they are not only trading coffee. This is about human lives and about human rights. So it, it also is fulfilling. This year, the things have improved. Last year, we were able to implement uh, uh, with many roasters that care about coffee growers. And uh, I would like to give their names because uh, like one of the messages here is when you choose brands, choose brands that are responsible with the, with the living conditions, with the environment. And uh, some of the ones I, I, I would really like to recognize are Nespresso, Starbucks, and Ili Cafe. And, and then it, it, it comes a, a comparison that I do. And uh, I'm a big fan of The Matrix. And I have watched it plenty of times. And for me, working in coffee in the day-to-day -day is like breaking the matrix. What is the matrix for me? The matrix is when you go to a supermarket and you see the, the supermarket aisle and you see a ton of brands. And you see different brands and those brands tell you, tell you oh, we have been so good. Uh, we buy from 5 million coffee growers and then we built a school for 15, 15 children. So always check what they say and how many coffee growers they are impacting. But then when you work day to day with this industry, you break that matrix and you see reality and you see firsthand which roasters care about the coffee growers, which roasters want to uh, build the brand uh, with, uh, with the social consciousness, with the environment. And that's why we also like to work with those ones that have helped coffee farmers. Uh, and also, of course, Juan Valdez, which is uh, uh, partly owned by, by our own coffee growers. So this is also a message. And it doesn't matter if it's coffee, what you're buying in the supermarket, try to learn what the brand entails and try to assure that the price that you are paying is uh, assuring that those coffee farmers or those uh, farmers of uh, other agricultural products are receiving uh, a fair income. And that's, and that's amazing, Carolina. I think the first time I heard about fair trade was probably 14, 15 years ago. And uh, was the mm -hmm. first time I visited Europe. Uh, and, and I remember Europe was super big about fair trade. Uh, they were talking about bananas, they were talking about coffee, they were talking about all of this. And I remember that uh, people would tell me about Colombian coffee and it wasn't so clear to me. So like what you were mentioning earlier about like our knowledge about it uh, became more okay. clear. And just as you were speaking, I, I have like five different things that we could get into, but I'm gonna get started with um, the, the growth and transformation. Uh, you did mention that the federation uh, started in in 1927. You mentioned, right? Or 27, yes. right? 
Yes, so, so, mm -hmm. so 1927, it's a long time ago, but regardless, there's been a huge transformation. Uh, I've seen it. I've seen how the Federation has become more vocal, more active, more aware, more, more visible in, in a lot of different <laughs> places. And that is what I would consider personally, like the modern version, the sophisticated version of the Federation, which makes sense. I mean, it's the most, mm -hmm. the, the, it should be the best one that we have. Uh, which we have today. From, from the past years that you have been working in the Federation, what are some of the transformations that you have seen uh, in, 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 in how we're dealing with uh, awareness, especially from Colombia to the outside, that are completely different to what we had maybe 20, 30 years ago? Exactly. Well, many conditions have changed, uh, and precisely due to that, uh, so you have an idea uh, there was an international coffee agreement until 1989, and in that international coffee agreement, many countries were involved, many consumer countries as well, to protect the income of coffee growers in different countries. And the initiative was behind promoting capitalism in, in, in those countries, uh, because it was during the Cold War. And that's why precisely it ended back in 1989, is when the Berlin Wall fell. So they, they set a, a, a set of quotas of the maximum production or exports allowed to come out of each country to assure there wasn't an oversupply that would allow those coffee farmers to receive a dignifying income. Then after the Berlin Wall fell and the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, that agreement fell. And since then, of course, it has become much more challenging to assure that the whole coffee industry recognizes that income to coffee farmers. One of the biggest changes that uh, have been implemented in, uh, in our, um, at the FNC and, and in the coffee industry, and it was an initiative of the FNC and our CEO, is that precisely uh, a, they created, we created what is called the World Coffee Producers Forum. So it follows the same model of the FNC in the sense that if we as coffee growers come together, our voice will be heard like more easier. So back in, uh, in um, 2017, for the first time, all the coffee growers from all over the world gathered in Medellin, in Colombia, uh, to analyze all the sustainability issues that were affecting the coffee growers. I think that has been one of the most important changes. We had people attending from 44 different countries, from Vietnam, from the main producers in, uh, in Africa, from the main producers in Central America. We had at the time the president of Honduras. We had uh, ex-president Bill Clinton attending. The keynote speaker was Jeffrey Sachs. And uh, together with Jeffrey Sachs and Columbia University, they conducted a study on how to improve those living conditions by having prices that will reflect uh, a better income. And uh, there have been uh, different initiatives. One of them as well has been, as you know, in the past, uh, of course, during those times, the, the, the Federation has more resources and we invested a lot in what is called the 100% Colombia Coffee Program. And uh, probably uh, many people you know in the States uh, remember uh, those commercials with Juan Valdez promoting those 100% Colombian coffee brands. If there is a country to which uh, you enter, in addition to Colombia, of course, uh, you go to the supermarket, to the coffee aisle, the most recognized origin is Colombia. I mean, uh, surveys that you do among consumers in, uh, in the U.S., when you ask them about the first country that comes to mind as a coffee producer, they say Colombia, even though we're the third world coffee producer, but they want with the highest quality. And when you ask them about the coffee that produces the highest quality, they answer Colombia. 
One thing that we want to do is to expand that view in different markets, and that's what we have been doing also here in Europe. Uh, of course, uh, uh, we have like a lower uh, budget than we used to have in the past, but for us also, this means of communication using technology uh, would allow us to convey the message about the importance of selecting those brands through which you know where the products are coming from instead of using blends, because sometimes you don't even know what qualities in there, uh, what are the conditions of the farmers in those countries. So we have participated in different fairs. Uh, we have done like the most aggressive advertising campaign uh, here in Europe in the last decades. So we have participated in the London Coffee Festival. Uh, we had consumers there that would come and would tell us, look, this is the seventh cup of coffee I had today. And this has been the best one by far. Where can I find this Colombian coffee? Uh, we started for the first time uh, participating in fairs in, uh, in Russia. And that's a market that I, that I love. I think it's very interesting. It's completely different to what we had seen before. Uh, one of the, of, the, of the important comments uh, is that uh, at the time of the Cold War, a uh, journalist asked, asked one of the presidents in the, in the United States if there was one book that you could introduce into the Soviet Union for all the population to read, which book would you choose? And like, if you had asked me, I would have said, maybe um, Smith or David Ricardo or something like more economics oriented. But uh, this president said, no, uh, Sears catalog at the time. And I think it was a brilliant answer. Of course, what he wanted to show was the options that you have in different models to choose for, from different brands, from different types of coffee, different origins or those things. And then when you go to, to to this Russian market, people see the Café de Colombia logo, and for them, it's like sometimes we bring uh, some bags of Colombian coffee and things like that, and they are like, how much is that bag with the logo of Colombian coffee? I want to have it. It's absolutely beautiful. So it's a market that is very eager to adopt new brands, to know about other countries, to identify themselves with different cultures, and um, I value a lot the fact that they love to study. So, for example, we had copying sessions there, and all of them, even though coffee has been relatively new in the Russian market because they mainly drink uh, tea, eh, they have been so interested. They have learned everything, all the protocols for copying, for copying coffee from the Specialty Coffee Association, eh, which is fantastic. So they are very well educated and eager to learn and very interested in coffee. And not to go too far, at the border of Russia, you have Finland. Finland has the highest per capita consumption of coffee in the world. Uh, so they drink on average six cups of coffee a day, and we have heard testimonials of people who drink 20 on to average. 30 cups of coffee a wow. day. On average, six cups. And some people drink 20 to 30 cups of coffee a day. How many cups of coffee do you drink per day, Eddie? Two. <laughs> Okay, no, you have to increase that minimum to six cups of coffee, and that that is your new homework. So I hope to see you on every single new edition drinking uh, drinking coffee. So kill, what kill we see, for example, for, for in, the in, Russian... In, in a second, please, <laughs> I, I, and I just put a parenthesis, and you're going to kill this myth for me. Uh, I, I, and you talk, continue talking about the corrosions because I feel that if I drink six cups of coffee, I'm going to jump off the walls. Like what coffee does to me, it gives me so much. But 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 please continue with the Russians. We'll 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 talk about it in a little bit. <laughs> so you you can also drink some decaf coffee if it's uh, if you feel it's a lot of energy. Plus check all the all the health uh, uh, the health benefits that coffee has. 
like later on, right? and, and I can talk about it later, later in this uh, conversation, uh, getting back to Russia. So what we see is that if you have Finland next to Russia with the highest per capita consumption, and then you see Russia, of course, they share these very, very cold winters. And what is better when you feel cold than to have a cup of coffee? and good Colombian coffee. So that's why we're also very focused on those markets because we see a lot of potential. They like the brand, they want to learn, they are valuing and education, educating themselves among uh, knowing how to cup coffee. And uh, as soon as these consumers learn about quality, they will value Colombian coffee. And that is, that is fantastic. It's, it's so amazing how you open a window and all of a sudden you see so much opportunity. Um, as an entrepreneur, you, you're talking about Russia and I just wrote it down. I'm like, well, that looks like an amazing place to go if you start. Because, yes. because especially yes. Europeans, they do value. And I'm just going to throw this idea out there for anyone who has time. Um, but the, I love uh, chocolate that has coffee flavor. Or uh, I remember Oma was doing at some point uh, coffee beans that you, with chocolate. They're fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and there is so much opportunity, yes. especially in Europe. They consume a lot of these like dark chocolate with like dark chocolate with coffee to me is like the, the, the best mm -hmm. in the world. Like if I can put it I, so I can do my, my chocachino, uh, uh, that, that'd be fantastic. But let me, let me get back to what I was mentioning. Can you tell me a little bit about these types of coffee? Because I, like I said, I recently just started kind of like paying attention to like what's there. So I was, I was, mm -hmm. I, I was drinking this um, brand of coffee from a friend called Kumandai uh, coffee from Colombia too. Yes. And then I just bought uh, uh, Juan Valdez. So I'm trying to like, like explore different. And now I'm so into it. Like, I'm like, Oh, I want to try this one now and that one and that one and that one. And I'm like, all like seeing all the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And I think you're right. If I really want to try it out, I'm going to have to start drinking like six cups of coffee. Otherwise, I won't have enough exactly. uh, data to be, <laughs> to be able to analyze. So why don't you tell us a little bit about like the different types that you see and, and, and your recommendations there? Exactly. So mainly when you check the world and, and let's go back like to the, to the general world coffee production, there are two coffee varieties, like the largest ones. Uh, they are Arabica and Robusta. So Arabica is a uh, softer, more mild, a higher quality, which is the, the one that Colombia mainly produces. The other variety is called uh, Robusta. Robusta is uh, stronger, it's more bitter. Uh, it comes mainly from, uh, from uh, Vietnam and also Brazil produces uh, some. So the largest world producer is Brazil, followed by Vietnam with, uh, with Robustas and then Colombia. Brazil produces Arabica, mainly in a natural process and a uh, robusta. Colombia produces what we call washed arabica. What does it mean by washed? Washed means that it has a special fermentation process. Uh, and not all Colombian coffees are, are washed, but uh, a, a large percentage of them um, are washed. And probably if you have visited a coffee farm, you saw kind of a pool where they keep the coffee during this fermentation process. And there is a lot of science to this. And uh, as I mentioned, it will take me like uh, 300 years to finish learning. But uh, depending on the altitude, on the temperature, on the conditions of the water, on the pH of the water, you can um, bring out different attributes in the coffee on top of the quality of the coffee itself that you harvested. Uh, Colombia, let's uh, talk also about Colombia. Colombia has a very distinctive uh, a coffee flavor uh, despite the fact that it has a diversity of good profile, and that's because we're very, very well located. 
who are located, our coffee regions are located on the Andes uh, mountain range. That Andes mountain range, range is very, very rich with volcanic soils. What those volcanic soils mean uh, is that those coffee trees can absorb a lot of minerals and those minerals translate into beautiful attributes to our coffee. When you analyze the soils in the different regions in Colombia, you also find this diversity because precisely we have three very big mountain ranges and also uh, different locations and seasons uh, of, of production. So to give you a broad idea, the north of the country, we grow coffee in Sierra Nevada and we have wonderful organic coffees and I can come back later on about our indigenous communities there. Uh, we also have Norte de Santander, fantastic coffees and I learned a few days ago also that uh, in Norte de Santander, they have the location in the world with the most storms. And I was also wondering if, if part of the conditions and the quality they have come from that electromagnetic field just to uh, just guessing. Uh, Santander also, Santander and Norte de Santander are shade grown because they receive a lot of sun. So many of the farms in those regions are Rainforest Alliance and are, and are uh, shade grown. So there is the highest uh, level of body in, in Colombia. Let's say the acidity is a little uh, medium, uh, medium uh, and a little bit higher. The center of Colombia, which is uh, Antioquia, the coffee access, which is uh, Caldas, Quindío, and Risaralda, from where I'm from, um, Cundinamarca as well, they tend to have more balance in terms of acidity and body. And when you move south, this is very general. In one region, you can find uh, different perceptions, but this is very general. When you move to the south of the country, you find Huila, which is now the largest coffee producer in Colombia and has beautiful coffees. Uh, you have Cauca, Tolima, Nariño, and those coffees tend to have a higher acidity level compared to the rest of the, of the country. Let's also remember that, for example, Nariño tends to have the, the highest altitudes to grow coffee. And that's one of the advantages of Colombia when you compare other producers in the world. We tend to grow coffee at high altitudes, and that's very good for quality. Why is it good? Why is it good to have a high altitude? And I learned this uh, a few years ago, and I found it great. When you grow a product in a higher altitude, it takes longer for that uh, agricultural product to develop. What it means is that it, it gets more time to absorb more minerals and to grow properly. Therefore, it, that translates into quality. That's why, for example, if you compare coffee produced in Colombia at 16 or 1800 meters above the sea level with the same variety grown in some other country at 1000 1, uh, meters, most probably you'll find that the quality of the one grown in Colombia though, at that altitude is much higher. On top of that, since we are on the equator and we are up to latitude 12, we have more diversity in latitude than the whole Central America that also produces coffee. That allows us to have fresh coffee throughout the year. So no matter which month you ask uh, the FNC or any exporter, we have coffee to ship fresh coming out of Colombia uh, all the time. And thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, I call that the masterclass of Colombian coffee. We'll probably be able to share that. <laughs> and people, will re I'd really appreciate it uh, because this is, it really gives me a, a good sense. Uh, and, and remember, we were talking about, I, I mean, Cincelejo. And here they have this region called Montes de Maria. And they've been doing different yeah. tests and different trials. And I'm like, very interested like this is this this yeah. this is something that i'm yeah. really interested on we, we might talk about this later but 
you talked mm-hmm. about breaking the matrix and, and you talked about impact. Um, so I want to understand a little bit about how, how, do, how does one, uh, for once, on the one side, measure the impact of something that might seem a little abstract, right? Like, okay, we're selling tons of, of, of coffee and you mentioned earlier, like, and then the number of families that we are impacting. And then the second or follow-up question to that is, you are in Europe uh, and you're, you're not in Colombia, that is obvious. Uh, how do you stay aligned with the mission uh, uh, when you not necessarily have like the day-to-day, like you're not touching them, you're not hugging them, saying like, we're helping these guys. And it, it might be too abstract sometimes for those to understand. How do you stay connected? Do you have a hack? Do you travel to Colombia? Like, how do you, how do you stay connected exactly. in that more human sense to your, to your vision? Indeed. Yes, that's, uh, that's a, a great question, Eddie. And right now it has been more of a challenge. I don't really know when is the next time I will go to Colombia. I'll spend time with the farmers. I'll spend time with my family. Um, yes, my boyfriend was even telling me, you know, you won't see your family for the rest of the year. And then I, uh, it really impacted me. So I think there have been two main uh, episodes in my life in which uh, uh, I felt the mission that I had to be uh, working for, for the SNC. The first of them, uh, we went with some customers to visit the coffee regions. Uh, and we had lunch, you know, sometimes on the roads, you find that small cafeteria, we grabbed a sandwich and some juice. And then later on, like at 4 p.m., we arrived at a, at a coffee farmer. And this coffee farmer was like 70 years old. Still a problem in, um, in the coffee culture, the fact that they haven't had enough income to be able to retire uh, at some certain age and, and, and to live out of, uh, of their savings because always their, since the price has been has kept so low, they haven't been able to, to, to save for that future for retirement. And then we, we went to the house of Don Jose and he was very welcoming. This was 4 p.m. He showed us his farm. It was absolutely beautiful. And then he said, yes, I have this, uh, these two uh, um, chickens if you had told me before that you were coming, I would have invited you for lunch uh, with these two chickens. That broke my heart. Like all his breakfast, all he had were those two chickens. And he was so generous that he wanted to share that with us. So every time we find a challenge, every time there is a, something difficult in the day-to-day work, I remember that there was a, a coffee grower, Don Jose, who was willing to sacrifice all he had for his breakfast to be generous with us. So that that has been one of the of the most eye opening experiences. And of course, to keep connected, I, I try to go to Colombia once or twice a year. This is going to be more difficult now eh, because they recharge me. If there is a scenario in which I know what I need to do and why I need to 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 eh, to keep doing the work I have been doing is spending time with them. And then the second uh, uh, time, and my mom used to say, now that we're talking about diversity and the importance of, of, of everyone, my mom always said, believe in every single person, no matter their age, no matter their race, no matter where they came from, their level of income, no matter that, because all of them will always know more things than you. There are plenty of things you can learn from them or you can contribute to their life. So uh, at some point I was in Sierra Nevada, I came to, to, to visit them because they have these beautiful organic plantations. And I stayed uh, in Pueblo Bello in Cesar with uh, the spiritual leader of the community, with uh, Mamo Menjabi. 
and then he has a, a many girls and it's beautiful we were seated seated at his table with uh, with all his girls and they started speaking ica ica is the the the, the language of of, uh, of those communities and then he said, like, no, you should switch to Spanish because Carolina is here, so she understands what you said. And I told eh, Mamo Menjavin, please keep speaking in ICA because this might be the only opportunity I have in my life to be seated at a table with our native indigenous communities, hearing how they speak this beautiful language. And they go to a bilingual uh, school of Spanish and ICA. So then, uh, outside of his house, he has like a, a, a small uh, green field with a little, uh, a little fountain of water. So I was sitting there trying to get sun. It was winter in New York, so of course I was missing the sun. And then his daughter, Luna, uh, she was nine years old at the time, came and sat next to me. So imagine this beautiful girl with a beautiful cinnamon color with straight black hair. They were this beautiful white, uh, a, a white fabric clothes. And she stood at me nine years old and she went like, what is life for you? And I was like, okay, a nine year old is asking me this. So Eddie, I want you to think, and I want the, the audience to think what they would answer a nine year old about what life is. So I started to say, life, life is uh, what we make out of it. It's filled with experiences and we try to help each other and our families, our friends, what we do for work, so I, I kept going about that and she stood at me and she was like, that's not life. So I, I didn't understand what this was about. Um, so let's remember that, that we call them our older brothers and sisters because they have this um, millennial culture of protecting the environment. And uh, this, is, uh, this is not even a matrix, but this became avatar. And then she started, that's not life. You are only talking about humans. Life is the water. The water is not alive, but without the water, we cannot live. Life is the air. The air is not alive, but without the air, we cannot live. Life is the sun. The sun is not alive, but without the sun, we cannot live. So they have this, this vision of the cosmos that is so integrated, not only of what is alive, because she wasn't only talking about the plants or the animals or the human beings, but they see everything as one element that we have to protect. So that, that was like, a, like the second most uh, uh, important experience in, in my professional life. And the one who taught me that was a nine-year-old. That is absolutely mind-blowing. Like right now, I'm like somewhere else. Uh, it, it's, it's so interesting. Um, uh, and, and to be completely open to everyone, I've also been in this process of understanding like, what is it that I also want to do? Where do I want to spend my time? And it, our time is limited. Uh, uh, we, we don't have, we don't know how many years that we have. And, and then the reason why this mission becomes so important, this mission of figuring out, like, what is it that, 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 that keeps us going every day, that makes us passionate about this, is, is that it matters. <laughs> if, if we find that, 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 or at least if we go in the direction of where the answer could or might be, because I don't think you'll ever find it, but if you're in the direction, you're moving in that direction, you'll take the right decisions. And I think as a society, the more we looked into organizations like, like the Federation that, that looks to protect those families and those people that 
work with life <laughs> because you're working with plants. I find that so beautiful and so powerful. You're caring for something. I'm like, there is so much behind this uh, that you don't understand as, uh, as much as there is. And I remember when I was in college, I would do these talks around uh, cocaine. And I would say, yes, you see, you have coffee and you have cocaine. There are people caring for plants and one does a lot of damage. And the other one brings a lot of happiness. And, and, and at the same time is our interaction with what you were mentioning in life. And I think that's, that's like absolutely powerful. And I think we should, we should be in tune with that. What are some of the hacks that, that you have on, on, on perhaps, I don't know if your day to day or your year to year, or your month to month to think about these things because one tends to forget and that's why I love this show because every day I get the chance to talk about this in the morning and then at night uh, but but are there any things that you can do to stay kind of like aligned with remembering these truths remembering these lessons that you have gathered from from your life well there there was one learning from uh, from my CEO a few year, years ago we were like uh, the the chief commercial officer the head of north america i i was there uh, as uh, the head of uh, europe like the different offices and we were discussing a solution and how to uh, tackle some issue and what to do and then we discussed different options and then he said okay, what is the main goal of each of them? And we were like very objective on each of them. And then he said, the first thing you have to look at when you look at an objective is which one is the one that would benefit the coffee growers in Colombia the most. And that's the one you should focus on. And for me, that also changed uh, because we were very obje objective on, 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 on different ways to solve it. And that also gave us like a goal in the long term on what we have to do every day. There is one very basic one that I tend to do quite often, almost every day is that right before I start working, I write down what I want to accomplish on that day. And sometimes I try to remember how each of those points that I want to accomplish would end up benefiting the coffee growers, which is the main goal of the, of the office. And that has been quite important. And I, getting back to, to what you mentioned about the uh, feeling more connected to the land, I believe that this COVID-19, if there is one specific thing that all of us must learn, is to protect the, the supply chain of our food. So these changed priorities, because now I see people, they are not interested in buying more material things. They have the food to, 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 to eat. And, and therefore protecting all those human lives that are growing all the products that, that we need. That's the first one. And the second one, of course, and I also wanted that, I moved to Bogota eh, to study university and I lived there for a couple of years and I love that city because that's the city that gave me my, my education. But let's not forget that we come from the land and we have that attachment to the land independently on where we're living in a big city or a small city. So let's not forget the people who live in the land, the, the people who work the land and the, and the environmental impact. And always like if each of us has a, a long-term goal, every day when you write down the list of things that you want to do on that day, also remember your long-time goal for that year or for the next five years and how those small goals of the day will lead you to that big one. Mm -hmm. 
That's that that that's also fantastic. Thank you so much, uh, Carolina, for sharing. I think there is one question from Loreto. I think it's just uh, to understand if, if you if you have this on your radar, and and I have a follow up question on that. Is that the Fair Trade Sustainability Alliance? If you know the Fair Trade Sustainability Alliance, mm -hmm. and my follow up question with that is, there are probably other federations, right, and other organizations trying mm -hmm. to promote. And yes. and of course, I don't believe it's a race. So we are going to win, and you're going to lose. I think it's. Uh, overall awareness of what we have in our beautiful world and, and then, you know, pineapples from this place and coffee from this other place and bananas from this other place. And, and like everyone has their goals. How does it work among, among federations? I, I presume is my question. And fair trade organizations, like is, is that too much competition or is it more of like a collaborative uh, uh, environment? I love that question. So, yes, for trade, uh, there, there are a few organizations on for trade. There is for trade USA, uh, mainly for North America, which is a certification. And there is for trade international, which also covers mainly the European division, the European uh, area. So some of the standards of fair trade, which is a certification, actually tackle, tackle the economic sustainability that uh, I have mentioned in the past. They have set a minimum price to be paid to the farmers, and that's quite important to assure that they can get a dignifying uh, living. And from this, uh, uh, for Trade USA and for Trade International, which I believe I, I haven't checked that specific website that you are mentioning, but I believe it's uh, it's those two. Uh, in that sense, both try to tackle something uh, a social investment. So on on top of that minimum price. There is an additional premium that goes for social investments at one association or one cooperative in which that board gets together to see how they need to invest that. So we have, for example, with Nespresso and for Trade USA, a beautiful project in Nariño and Cauca to build a potabilization system for the community because they were having problems uh, with drinking water and it wasn't potable. Uh, and it has uh, a great achievements. And getting back to your question about for trade, I am, I'm, I am a great fan of fair trade because it's the certification that tackles uh, a, the main sustainability issue, which is economic sustainability. You cannot ask a coffee grower to implement investments to protect the environment we can, when he cannot feed his family. So first, we need to assure that he can get a living, that he can send his kids to school or to university, and that on top of that, he has an extra income to do the interventions at the farm that would allow him to, to positively impact the environment. And we have worked together with Pertreta during, during many years. Actually, last year for the General Assembly of Pertreta International uh, in Germany, uh, they invited my CEO, Roberto Vélez, as keynote speaker. And his main message was the co-responsibility along the supply chain. So we work with different certifications, also Rainforest Alliance and the, their commitment to the environment. We also uh, commercialize and promote all those certifications that would allow us to tackle all these sustainability issues. And, and that's thank you so much for 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 sharing that. I think uh, we've coming we're coming to an end of the show. It's it's been it's been wonderful, uh, Carolina. I think I have I have a lot of ideas of stuff that we can do together to to promote to help one another uh, uh, because because it's, it's it's a wonderful thing what the federation is doing. I think it's wonderful that how we we can connect uh, with with life 
and it's wonderful how we can connect with the families uh, uh, that, that, that the Federation is helping uh, uh, raise and support. Uh, and, and I hope that there is something there uh, that we can do. Um, I want to thank everyone who has joined us today uh, over Zoom, everyone who has joined us over YouTube, everyone who is going to listen to this on Facebook, Instagram, Live, LinkedIn, and also the podcast. We are hoping that this content gets to, to a lot of people, thousands of people, uh, and that in the future we can also uh, bring Carolina to one of our events. We have some large events coming up, uh, and, and hopefully uh, Carolina can, can join us. Just for you guys to know, on the 15th and 16th, we're going to have the biggest um, job fair focus on talent in Colombia. It's called Talento Colombia 2020. We already have uh, partnerships with Camaras de Comercio, uh, universities like Universidad de los Andes, uh, which is your alma mater, um, as well as other large companies. So hopefully uh, we'll be able to attract a lot of talent that, that would like to participate. As you were speaking, I have to be very transparent as well. I was thinking that we need to have uh, a collaboration around whatever it is, the largest virtual coffee-related future of working coffee conference that exists in the world. I don't know where it is. If it doesn't exist, let's do it and let's do it in Colombia and let's bring everyone who is working on the future of coffee. Let's just bring them together to talk and inspire others to also get involved in the industry. But, but Carolina, this is wonderful. If there is anything you'd like to tell us right now, this is the moment. Where can we find more information? Where can we learn more? How can we get involved? Exactly. Well, I, I would like a, like a, my closing remarks uh, to get back to what you mentioned and what you were thinking about. And uh, I think many of us have uh, watched Netflix or TV series or movies that sometimes portray Colombia and the difficult things uh, through which it has gone through. But I also want to invite all the audience to think every time they watch those shows on how they can help Colombia to achieve peace and uh, all the farmers in Colombia and all our economy to thrive so that we don't have to go through what you watch in those movies and series. By buying Colombian coffee, by buying products that would help the country, you are helping to, to build peace in Colombia. Thank you so much. And I think I'm going to start drinking. Now I'm more inspired to drink more than two cups of coffee. Are we keeping it to one to two? Uh, now I think I'm going to go to six. So let's, six. let's, let, that, that's going to, that's going to be the new daily hack for those that watch fulfilling work life and trabajando el futuro. Six cups of coffee every day. Let's see, let's see where we can take our consumption and average consumption in Colombia. What is the average con co co coffee consumption in Colombia? Do you know? Yes, it's about uh, like the average person in Colombia who drinks coffee, drinks from two to three cups of coffee. And sometimes it could be even less. So we are like a sixth of, the, of, uh, of what many other countries drink sometimes, like in the average national, not only the, the ones that are, have uh, confirmed that they drink coffee. And we are way behind per capita than Brazil, our neighbor. So I think it, it should be like in the list that each one is going to keep writing every day. Please write down. Drink delicious Colombian coffee. Six cups minimum. There you go. That exactly. is the hack for today. Yes. Drink delicious <laughs> Colombian coffee. I love that. Carolina, muchísimas yes. gracias. Esperamos que estés muy bien. Y esperamos a todos los que nos están escuchando. Gracias. Even if you don't speak español, you're going to have to learn español. It's, but it's, the, it's the language of the future. Español, yes. I'm telling you, it's going to be. Uh, but uh, muchas gracias, que tengan un gran día, un fulfilling work día para todos y, y a fulfilling work afternoon 
uh, Carolina, for you. So thank you so much for, for joining us and, and hope to see you very soon. Thank you so much, Eddie. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you for listening and remember to share, like, and comment if this content brought value to your life. You can find us on social media as We Are Torre. Explore more content at blog.torre.co. See you around.